Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I'm Roland Godot. That's... <laughs> Can I just be Roland Godot? <laughs> Go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot, Penn, Matt, Reddy Rich, and I are broadcasting from our own homes. Actually, Matt's still in an airport somewhere in the... Ah, poor guy. <laughs> On this week's show, we'll be hitting some more of our viewer mail, and if Godot has his way about it, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of nature. Here he is, preach and love, Mr. Penn Gillette. Preach in love, preach in love. That is me, that is me, that is me. Did you hear Goudeau uh, say that he wants to be called Roland Goudeau and then Im- <laughs> immediately announce himself as Michael Goudeau? I know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I have to write down whatever I'm going to say. Now, you said uh, <laughs> at the end of the last thing, you said that you had a defense of Joe Rogan that would make me uncomfortable. Yes. And what good is this show if it's not to make me uncomfortable? You've said many times that you're always rooting for the underdog. Yeah. Even if that makes you root for somebody you don't like. Yep. Joe's the same way about underdog ideas. He really is. There's no doubt he is. Martial arts is a lightning rod for woo. It always has been. Mm -hmm. And his show started out as just woo, just exploring bad ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did his show on conspiracies, and although I never saw it, he came out of that saying uh, he got disgruntled because they were not true. Mm -hmm. So he does change his mind, and it is good. I think the problem is we were kind of saying the same thing. The problem is it's really fun to talk about nut ideas until those nut ideas get enough people following them. And his mea culpa will be just that. 10 to 15 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, underdog people, I totally get underdog ideas. Maybe not. Ideas and people have to remain separate. We have to be able to attack ideas and maybe not people. Well, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just trying to put you in his mental headspace. Well, it's not hard to do that. It's not hard to be in Joe Rogan's headspace because I really do share so much with him. I share so much with him. And it may be that the only difference is marijuana and <laughs> LSD and uh, Hiawatha, whatever it's called. It's not Hiawatha. Hiawatha. No. Hiawatha. <laughs> not Hiawatha. <laughs> you know, and so on. It may, it may just be that that is doing a kind of thing to people that uh, may just be that it opens your mind uh, too much. Seems like a reasonable guess. It certainly confuses reality somewhat yeah so it does do that it does do that maybe the acceptance of non-ordinary realities becomes too easy at that point point. Mm-hmm. and maybe the uh you know that that kind of uh all open all-encompassing stuff is is doing damage i don't know yeah yeah but you know i still 
uh, oh, I, all of it, all of it is, you know, the, 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 the COVID deniers, people not wearing masks, not getting vaccinated, but then also the people that are trying to spin January 6th into something that, uh, I made the mistake perhaps of watching the 40 minute New York Times video documentary of what happened on January 6th, minute by minute. Yeah. You know, they reconstructed it from, you know, thousands. This is the weird thing about that is, you know, we have Paul Revere. I don't want to compare, you know, them to patrons, <laughs> but we have Paul Revere carrying an iPhone, taking video. So these people who thought they were patriots were actually shooting video of them doing horrible criminal activities. Oh, yeah, it's hard to, I believe, call yourself a patriot if you're hitting someone with a flag. <laughs> it really is, yeah. That's a tough one. That's mm -hmm. a tough one. And it's hard to say that you're for, you know, ru rule of law if that person you're hitting with a flag is a police officer. Yeah. And yet. Uh, <laughs> and yet. And yet. <laughs> That's where things get ugly. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> Many people seem yep, to think that's doing. the case. <laughs> so let's talk about nature. Let's we'll talk about nature. You know, yeah. I, I was going to ask you first off, how's your birds? How's My your birds, birds are doing very well. Although now I have, I have two feeders, and I've got this great little setup where the bottom is a cage, so the little birds go in. Yeah. I've told you that before. Yeah. And I have also fresh water for them, which they think is really stupid because there's a pool. <laughs> yeah, tub. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So they say, why is this little satellite piece of water here? We don't know. We don't care. But they come around, and now my little Cooper Hawk, yeah. actually the adult female <laughs> Cooper Hawk, who's rather large. The obese, the obese <laughs> Cooper Hawk. Uh, she comes in almost now like clockwork every three days. Mm -hmm. And she grabs one, and she goes up in the tree and eats it. And I guess I've made my peace with that. Boy, when she comes in, it is quite a kerfuffle. <laughs> you should get it on video. I'm trying I'd love to, to see but she it. comes, she comes yeah. in fast. Yeah. Uh, she comes in really fast, and I reach for my camera every time. And she was once holding down one of the birds just five feet from me. And I wanted to get that, but as soon as I got the camera up, she flew away. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't want to be captured on video. You know, she's she's seen what happened to Alec Baldwin. She's, <laughs> I meant that old Alec Baldwin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait till she gets heavy enough for the mountain lion to come after her. <laughs> then you're going to see fast. Yeah, little little Miss Apex Predator is kind <laughs> of uh, kind of not feeling that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Penultimate? Did you say penultimate? <laughs> <laughs> Your dog doesn't chase them away? My dog has no interest in birds That's or rabbits. When I go for a walk with my dog, which is not often, and I see a rabbit, I get very, very excited. Yeah, yeah. My dog doesn't care at all. And everything I've learned from cartoons says that dogs care very much about rabbits. Yeah. Oh, you would think. But I guess cartoons is not the best place to get your information. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that. You were saying the other day you watched some uh, bird documentaries with your with your children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Has it ever occurred to you that you could go to those places and see those birds? Do you have any interest in seeing those birds in the wild? Here's my point about that. They do it so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I'm never, I'm never going to see 
a bower bird do its fancy dance right there for another bird in the wild. I've seen a couple of things like the bower bird. I've seen mannequins, which is a, a small sparrow-sized bird, do popping like firecrackers. They have a way of flipping their flicking their wings that sounds like firecrackers. And it, it is, and that's not recorded anywhere? I don't know that it's not recorded anywhere, but seeing it in person, it was before I had, knew they even could do that. And and it was a fantastic discovery for me. And super exciting and 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 totally confusing. You know, it sounded like four or five firecrackers going off in a bush on the ground next to me. Pretty amazing. Well, I'll tell you, there was one documentary we watched that was not a documentary in any way. It was about some sort of small rodent going through its life in the desert, mm. you know? And it was totally jive-ass because they told the whole story about uh -huh. it. It had to go by its snake. and it had to go by something else. And mm -hmm. it, oh, it was <laughs> terrible because, you know, they were just throwing the thing right. at these animals. Bring know? the snake on. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. It had to be done that way. And that really bugged me, mm. you know. But the photography they're doing, you know, you're not going to be able to go in the wild and watch the kind of stuff that whales, they're doing with whales. That's, that's true. You're never going to see a snow leopard. There's no chance you're going to see a right. snow leopard. Even if you go specifically to see snow leopards, you're not going to see a snow leopard. Right. And these people that shoot these things, they're spending a long time in they really do. uncomfortable situations shooting. Yeah, they do. They do. But there's something about... I'm hesitant to use the word, the smell of the jungle. Um, yeah. The, the other jungle noises that are really wonderful. And, yeah. You know, but dink you know, frogs. There's a frog in Costa Rica that sounds like you hit a, a plate with a fork. <laughs> dink, dink, dink. And they'll go, and it's beautiful, and it's fantastic to hear them. And they're, they're so common in Costa Rica that no one would even consider putting that onto a, a movie. You can find it. I bet yeah. you can find it. Yeah. But let Maybe. me just tell you let me just tell you this. In these places that are so beautiful, are there mosquitoes? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. See, I really don't like mosquitoes. Well, aren't there mosquitoes in Massachusetts? Yes. Where am I now? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Point well taken. I mean, <laughs> if you were do doing the list of things I like about Vegas, lack of mosquitoes would be on that list. Right. I always say that we have the same biomass of bugs as Louisiana, but we kind of concentrate them into three or four bugs. We just have very large spiders and scorpions. <laughs> and each one equals a billion mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, although I really do wish I could go outside more. My allergies are a problem in Vegas, or I would mm -hmm. go out a lot. I like riding my bike. I like doing all that stuff. You find the mask has helped you? Uh, no. No. Mm. Not even yeah. slightly. Okay, well, one of the things, I was uh, walking around in Laughlin mm. recently, and there was a family of about 10 skunks that just came walking up the middle of the, the river walk area, and everybody just moved out of their way, and off they went. And I mm. haven't seen a nature show that's urban. And I think it'd be fun to follow uh, the lives of those skunks. I saw there was a show that was exactly that. Okay. Because I've been watching your urban. Cooper Hawk, following your Cooper Hawk for two weeks mm -hmm. and seeing the video of what the Cooper Hawk does. And, you know, I mean, I, I to be honest, I don't know if once every three days is how often a Cooper Hawk eats. It is. 
I, you know what I mean? That that I think this may be the only place she's eating them. Right. Because I'm <laughs> reading the book uh, H is for Hawk. Yeah. And they lose all interest in everything after after they've eaten. Right. A lot of animals do. I you know just you, like they've just had sex. Yeah. Not interested in it. They just want to watch TV. Yeah. Yeah. That that happens a lot. I believe with sharks as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you see people swimming with sharks. That's because the sharks were not hungry. <laughs> But I, 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 I just, I would like to see more about urban animal life. I believe there's a whole couple of documentaries that are just about that okay. that you can find. And I will tell you, in defense of documentaries, there won't be the smell of the jungle, and there won't be mosquitoes <laughs> or skunks. <laughs> no smell of skunks. <laughs> could you smell the skunks when they walk by? No, I, I could not. But there are some that live under my dad's house that he smells pretty often. <laughs> and if you go to the uh, Sunset Marquee in uh, L.A., the hotel, mm-hmm. it often smells like skunks. But that's because it's a kind of marijuana, right? I suppose, yeah. That could be. And there's a kind called skunkweed. Yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah. And I wondered why I was named that till I went, boy, I smell skunk. And everybody laughed at me. <laughs> until that humiliating moment. So we should be following you, is what we're saying. For this nature show, we should see how Pendulette interacts with the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like, uh, I just think I'm so amazed at the photography. And I yeah. guess as, as cameras get smaller and smaller and uh, more amazing, and drones get more amazing, I mean, it is postulated now that we have, uh, like the, uh, the surveillance organizations, have dragonfly camps, right? Right. That's yeah. And they're probably going to get smaller. And in nature photography, wouldn't you be able to do pretty amazing things if you had a drone the size of a dragonfly? Yeah, yeah, you would. Also, I just saw a show where they had. Although at a point, some point, it's going to be eaten, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be good video. <laughs> you better get something that transmits. Um, I just saw a show where they were mounting small cameras on animals for a couple yeah. of days. Which I yeah. thought was a pretty great idea. And I saw another one where they had a fake leopard and mounted a camera in the fake leopard to see how real leopards would react to it. And that was delightful as well. Those are just great ideas yeah, they for do, shows. They super do fun. really, really great stuff. You know, but I've been told that if you really want to look at the technology of camera work, you have to go to sports. I guess the, I don't ever watch sports, but I guess the camera work on like the Super Bowl mm-hmm. is supposed to be the most technologically advanced camera work possible, mm-hmm. which is just really a nature show about people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that yeah. all? That's what that is. That's what that is, yeah. Now, are the are the Olympics on now? Uh, not yet. They start in a week. That's gonna be, Are you boycotting them because no. of the... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> It'll be on on my TV. My wife loves the Olympics. Really? She loves all the stories about them. There is not the slightest flying fuck I could give. I don't care about their stories. I don't care about their records. I don't care about anything. My ability to not care about sports is unparalleled. <laughs> yeah, we don't care at all. My wife doesn't care at all about the nationality. Oh. You know, we're not, you know, oh my gosh, thank goodness the Americans got the most medals. That, that doesn't matter at all. It's just the individuals. She really loves the individual accomplishments. The only accomplishment of the Olympics I've ever read about much was the uh, the people giving the uh, 
Black Power Salute and the uh, Australian that joined them. Right. That kind of story makes me cry. That is a kind of uh, interest in bravery that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. But I guess as a juggler, I should care a lot about the practice, you know, how much they're practicing. You know, another thing about the Olympics I care about a little bit is how much the swimmers eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I, the Everest I, butter stick story. I get very <laughs> envious of, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, young woman who gets up and eats five plates of pasta. <laughs> exactly. The Tour de France guys. Oh, yeah. I want to just ride with them and eat. <laughs> what do they eat? And Paris, ride through France for a month and eat everything you come across. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I talked to the guy who, uh, he and his son rode bikes across the United States all the way, mm-hmm. you know. They did the whole like trip. Like we're going to do, like you and I are going to do. I so want to do that, but... One of the things I loved about it was they started out not in particularly good shape, you know, mm-hmm. but they rode every day and they would, you know, uh, stop for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and eat anything they wanted. You could sell that show, you know, you and, and Matt and Reddy and I can ride across country on, you know, we'll get a, we'll get a four person bike. <laughs> That'll be great. Be a good show. Do we have to go outside? <laughs> yeah, and there might be mosquitoes. How many blisters do you get on your nutsack riding every day, all day? Mm, yeah, me, specifically? <laughs> That's a personal question I'm not ready to answer. <laughs> I think you toughen up pretty quickly. I mean, I know that the difference for me when I'm riding a lot versus when I'm rarely riding is very noticeable. Mm-hmm. Just the toughness. Just it, And it's not blisters. It's just toughness. Yeah. I sure like I sure like riding. But boy... When you get into a lot of hills for a long time, it seems uh, very discouraging. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've ridden long distances, and occasionally there are moments where you can see where you're going to be in four hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're riding on a hill, and you look up the mountain, you see that curve go around that last little top bit of the mountain. You just think, well, four hours of suffering from now, I'm going to ride around that corner. And you tell yourself, you tell yourself when you're biking, that um, if you gear down enough, all I got to do is gear down enough, and I just pedal the way I normally pedal. It's no different. Right. Just the speed of, and that never works. Uh, it works pretty well on the on the recumbent tricycles. It, you know mm. what I mean? You're going very slow. It is shockingly slow. <laughs> I'm doing you know seventy RPMs on my feet and going uh, half a mile an hour. It feels like I could ride that bike up a wall. <laughs> it's the gearing is so great yeah but i maybe that dream is gone because i guess i'm too old now right 66 no that's too old to drive across yeah. right across the it is not I, I i think i told you about this i know we talked about it uh, when it happened uh a few years ago i was camping in oregon and met an old man an old german fellow who had retired from his job oh, yeah, yeah. and had ridden all the way around europe all the way around australia all the way across asia and was in the process, he was 70-something. And he was riding, at, when I met him in Oregon, he had started in Canada and was riding to Patagonia. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and he just said, you know, I get my check every month. I go out and have dinner a couple of times. But most of the time, I just grocery shop and ride along and camp and cook and meet people. And he seemed as happy as anyone I've ever met. 
And he was on his own? No on his way. own, by himself. You know, no backup, nothing. He didn't seem to have a, an overly large load of stuff. He had whittled it down to what he actually needed. You know, probably that first trip across Europe or Asia would, would help that a lot. I would imagine the first two days would help that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need this fucking book. <laughs> yeah, the over-the-ear headphones, not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't need anything that weighs anything. Yeah. Riding down the whole coast of the U.S., from Canada all the way to Patagonia. Yeah. And there's a park uh, down there where I think it's really difficult to get through, through near the Panama Canal. I don't remember the name of the zone, but there's a zone. Darien Gap. The Darien Gap, yeah. The Darien Gap down there is pretty rough. What, but what this makes, old guy was just going to ride it. It's what makes it of, rough? There's, there are very few roads, and it's all dirt, and it's, it's muddy. Completely undeveloped jungle. And so you can't really can't build stuff. There are environmental concerns about why they don't want to build stuff. It's it's a tough spot to get through. You try it on the trikes. Who knows? Well, uh, does it make sense that the same company controls half of online retail, also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts. That's why I use ExpressVPN, and I do. I really do. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. Let's talk about this. I used to turn off my VPN when I did uh, when I did these podcasts at home because right. it slowed it down so much. And now uh, I-, I forgot to do that last week, and it still was okay. Right, ready? Yeah, it's Godot's lousy Wi-Fi that's still messing everything up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty good. So um, also, you know, when you get those phishing things that say uh, they've seen what you've done and they want Bitcoin payments, don't have to worry about it if you're using VPN. You just don't have to worry about it. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with a VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash and that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash P-E-N-N to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash pen right now and learn more. It's really, really good. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to talk about something that Godot is really good at, mm-hmm. and that is HelloFresh. HelloFresh. And I had some, and I loved it. Yeah. Boy, they really they really do well. HelloFresh delivers pre 
portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skipping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. Easily change your delivery day, food preferences, and plant size or skip a week whenever you need to. HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality, and you can save on average over 65 bucks per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. Tell us how much you love it there, Gudeau. I got to tell you, it is fantastic. Not only is the food great, my kids make it. And that's the best thing in the world, to have my son or my daughter making sun-dried tomato spaghetti or uh, Middle Eastern chickpea bowls. Oh, my gosh, it's great. Just delicious. Get someone else to do the work. They're learning a real skill. They are learning that they can cook and make great meals on their own. And I am learning that my kids can make my dinner and I don't have to. <laughs> Just fantastic. It's real. And the food is really good. The chickpea bowl is fantastic. You're oven roasting onions and tomatoes, cherry tomatoes and chickpeas. And the chickpeas are popping like popcorn and they are just so delicious. Boy, you know, chickpeas I really like. Really They're like. really good, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> Go to HelloFresh.com slash PSS16 and use code PSS16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. You got that? HelloFresh.com slash PSS16. You got that? HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. It's so, so wicked, wicked good. Delicious. Unbelievably good. Just love it. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. And uh, how are you feeling health-wise, Ready Rich? I'm looking at you. I see a little smile, but you still look kind of uh, funked up a little bit. Still have a cough and still sleeping an awful lot, but otherwise feeling better. Yeah, you're saying 15 hours a day. That That's a big selling point for me. I see them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. How much do you sleep normally, Godot? 10, probably 10 hours a night. Really? Yeah, 9 or 10. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of time to sleep. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but you know what I mean? I have a different schedule than you. I don't ever wake up and go, oh, God, I don't want to get out of bed. I mean, I do if I'm traveling or something like that, but in my home life, I just don't do that. I sleep until I've had enough. Mm. I wake up, I look at my phone for a little bit, I pet the dog, I get up and shower. It's a pretty, pretty good life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I sleep about, I, I try to do that too and not get up special, but I sleep about uh, seven and a half hours. I wish that my body felt that that was enough. And I'm kind of done. I can get up after seven and a half and feel okay for the day. But there's mm -hmm. the there's the wake up time. There's the getting out of bed and that there's a little bit of misery in those moments that I just try to avoid. I can see that. I don't feel misery with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I try to follow the rule that I will not 
look at my phone until after I've exercised and meditated. Because I don't like to have, while I'm meditating, emails in my head that I'm going to be answering, you know? Right. But I've been breaking that lately because it's been slower getting out of bed with the coughing and stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to have something to do while I'm waiting, so I do that. Right. Um, I, You know, a lot of my work depends on me responding to people relatively soon, and so I check when I wake up in the morning to make sure there are no jobs that I'm missing. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes do that because Glenn may have said, oh, by the way, do you want to be interviewed by so-and-so right. at, you know, in a half hour from now? So I sometimes do that. It's a good plan. But normally, what do you sleep uh, there, Ready Rich? Five and a half hours. Really? Yeah. And now you're up to 15. Are you yeah. rested at five and a half? Yes. But you go days without sleeping, right? I used to. That haven't, I haven't done that in a while. It's crazy to me. That just seems so hard. So I unpleasant. Be, I used to be on a 30-hour cycle. Mm -hmm. That really messes with a work schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really terrible. And when I did that, I had apnea, and I was doing, you know, nine, ten hours instead of the five and a half that I do now. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we were talking about this the other day, Ready Rich, Glenn and I. How old are you, Ready Rich? 53? I'll turn 53 in August. 53. 1969, right after the moonwalk. So you missed the moonwalk. You were, you were still in womb. Yes. That's sad. That was a good day. That was a cool day. <laughs> yeah, there are not a lot of things you missed, you. but that was a cool day. <laughs> yeah. Right in time for Manson. <laughs> ah, well, you got there for, you got there for Chuck. <laughs> not a cool day. <laughs> not a cool day. Not a cool day. <laughs> a friend of mine just went to a, uh, a wake, actually on the property where uh, Polanski lived during the uh, Tate murders. The house is no longer there. They built a different house there. 10,050 CLO Drive. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, You know that off the top of your head. Yeah. Because you're a Manson fan. No, I was just part of the pop culture. Yeah, I guess it is, yeah. Trent Reznor bought it. Uh, not now. He doesn't have it now. No, he sold it when uh, Tate's sister said something to him about it. He's, he had second thoughts. Uh, but they, it's no, the house is no longer there. It's a different house. Correct. But I don't feel anything about spaces. You know, I, don't, uh, I wouldn't feel anything creepy being in the uh, Manson house. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. There that would be a lot of people coming to look, though, and that, yeah. maybe that would annoy you. I mean, I... I've been to the Goonie house up in Oregon, and those people don't want you there. <laughs> What's the Goonie house? Where they shot Goonies? Well, they shot the Goonies, yeah. Yeah, in Astoria, Oregon. That's where my daughter was born, and we were there for just to visit her birth family and to see the place so that she'd get a sense mm -hmm. of what it was like. And uh, Wait, they killed the Goonies? <laughs> yeah. One of the things is there's a sign outside the Goonie house that said, get out of here. <laughs> I thought, well, you probably shouldn't have bought the Goonie house. I never saw the Goonies. Nor should you. <laughs> is the house is the house important? Is the house important in the it's, story? Yeah, it's a part of the story. It's a big part of the story. Mm -hmm. And it's a cool spot. Everybody kind of likes it. It's up on a hill overlooking the town of Astoria. Nice. Pretty area. Have you seen the sleeper house, Pen? The sleeper house? Yeah. What do you mean? Woody Allen? Yeah. Uh, that's the one up on a cliff somewhere? Yeah, in Denver. Just outside of Denver. No, that's the, the futuristic one that I remember Clam the show. movie, but that's a real... Yeah. yeah. 
Real house. Same same person lived there now. This this during Woody Allen. Another person that doesn't want visitors. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with these folks buying these famous houses that don't want visitors? <laughs> you can put a box out front that says, uh, if you're gonna take a picture and you feel like donating a dollar to the Goonie house, please do. <laughs> Why not just do that? Get a couple hundred bucks a month out of that? I don't know. Maybe I should buy the Goonie house. Now we've <laughs> solved it. <laughs> there are people that do uh cash in in that way right there are people that i'm sure buy famous houses yeah i believe the home alone house was for sale relatively recently as was the uh a christmas story house i believe the state of california did that with the uh, hearst castle mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah there you go <laughs> and i think that david bowie used to buy houses be incredibly secret about where they were and then announce it in a big press release where he lived and have people come by and then flip the house and sell it right after that. <laughs> David Bowie being a, a savvy businessman. Genius. <laughs> that guy's a genius. <laughs> Business person, I guess. Uh, let's get to some viewer mail here. This is, this is interesting. We do should um, talk about this one. Kayla Williams writes, I'm a libertarian, a different kind from you, anarchist. I used to identify as American-style libertarian, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Uh, I consider you the only intellectually consistent American-style libertarian that I've ever listened to at length. I'm curious about your axioms. In my experience, American-style libertarianism usually gives way to fascist or reactionary ideology quickly because it's constructed on a foundation of pure arrogance. A white man might feel like his superiority is so institutionally secure they can feign a belief in some kind of pure ethic of negative liberty. His reasoning being that given the current situation, all things being equal, he will still naturally rise to the top like it was fate, kismet, and not say colonialism that gave him the social advantage. However, if his superiority feels threatened even slightly, even as a result of obviously propagandistic Propagandistic, sure. Nonsense like Fox News bleeding about critical race theory or a YouTuber complaining about a gay character in a Netflix movie being a consequence of a shifting society. He immediately switches gears and favors authoritarianism that guarantees him superiority over working class minorities rather than a pure faith in the superiority of the system of equal negative liberty for all. Do you think my view is myopic or incomplete? You seem to have held strong to your principles, and honestly, I really admire you. Personally, I still have a pure faith in negative liberty, but I've simply added a faith in positive liberty to that equation. The way I see it is this. Suppose you go down in a plane crash over the ocean. The plane lands on a deserted island. Gilligan is there. The professor and Mary. I added that. Sorry. Only you and your friend survive. You're pinned under the wreckage. Your friend is totally free to gather coconuts and find water and learn to fish. You both have the same negative liberties, but are you both equally free? You'll die there underneath the wreckage. You can't move. Your friend has the resources to thrive. He refuses to help you. My argument is that you won't be equally free until you are given tools to free yourself from the wreckage. That's how I feel about politics at a microcosmic level. That equal opportunity can only exist in a world where people are born with relatively equal resources. I feel that the capitalist vision of private property, which a small handful of people can theoretically and in practice lay claim to the vast majority of the Earth's resources, creates an unsustainable dichotomy in which property ownership becomes a zero-sum game and future generations are more and more disadvantaged. Wow. 
uh, that's really uh, beautifully written and gives one a lot to think about. We really saw that. Uh, I would have made the argument, uh, really made the argument three years ago that libertarianism did not go to authoritarianism instantly. And now it's very, very hard to make that argument. A lot of the people who identified as libertarians went right to authoritarianism instantly. During the vaccine denial, we see a lot of people who are libertarian claim that. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts, I don't want government vaccine mandates and mass mandates, which, by the way, we don't have. And Joe Biden has never suggested, I don't think, it is being done by local areas. I think that having laws, government laws that say that a school can't have a mass mandate or that a private employer can't have a mass mandate is a completely inverse libertarian idea. You started to say something already, Rich. Yeah, there's the OSHA thing. Biden went for the OSHA vax mandate. Mm -hmm. But there are all these theoretical arguments against libertarianism that became practical arguments. When my very breathing, when my very breathing infringes on your freedoms, it becomes very, very complicated. I still believe that the individual is very, very important, but there is no doubt in my mind now that it is easier for me to be a libertarian than someone who was born much more disadvantaged. I do not believe that my accomplishments could be done by myself in another situation where I didn't have all the advantages that I have. I believe that's really true. And there's that amazing moment in the documentary Listening to Kenny G by Penny Lane where- uh, Two shows in a row where we've talked about Penny. <laughs> yeah, where Kenny G on camera realizes that being white has helped him. And it's an amazing moment. Wow. He starts out, he starts the sentence by saying his race had nothing to do with his success. He starts the sentence that way and then starts making the argument. And halfway through the argument, he goes, but I, I don't think the promoters would have spent as much money on my stuff if I hadn't been white. And he says that, stops dead and goes, yeah, it was an advantage. It's an amazing moment. You know, usually see someone changing right. their mind on camera. And I'm afraid I've had that moment with the Libertarian Party with the vaccination. Because, you know, there's the cliche, the trope, whatever you want to call it, that my freedom to wave my arms ends at your face, right? With the virus, we see very, very clearly that if I don't wear a mask, I'm jeopardizing other people. And if I don't get a vaccine, I'm jeopardizing other people. Your outlook on life has always been optimistic. Yeah. And that optimism, I believe, is where we made mistakes. I really thought that libertarians would say, you know what? You're right. This is important. I should step up and take this. Mm -hmm. But what's required for libertarianism to work is an honesty and a generosity of spirit that we are finding is less prevalent than we had hoped. And or at least than people, I had hoped. All the people that said to me, uh, you, are, uh, you are just celebrating selfishness and uh, all the stuff I said about using force 
uh, is wrong to make people do this. They'll do it on their own. Uh, in the laboratory of the virus, we're seeing that's not true. Yeah. There are people that say, I don't feel like wearing a mask. We're getting the liberty. We're getting the, uh, the experiment is run perfectly because although wearing a mask does help you, it helps the person wearing the mask, but not as much as it helps the other people. Right. And the vaccine is kind of the same. It helps you, but it helps the whole world more. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are people that um, I believe that selfishness, a celebration of selfishness, the Ayn Rand celebration of selfishness, only works with people that have a tremendous amount of empathy and compassion. Yeah. They have to have some ethics. Yeah. They have and, to care uh, about other people. You have to be able to see when you are doing things that are not benefiting society. And we also saw, I think that I saw in a way that I may not have known before, and I'm embarrassed to say this, by the way, but the whole world is linked together in a much tighter way than I ever believed. I mean, the virus went all around the world to every place except what? Tonga? Yeah. Which then got blown up and washed away. (laughs) Yeah. It went all around the fucking world in days. In days. I knew that. I knew we were all linked together like that, but I didn't feel it. And the virus showed us that we are um, a little more like a hive of bees than we are like a snow leopard. You know, uh, it just showed me there was more of a, more of a connection. You know, E.O. Wilson, who uh, died recently, yeah. uh, E.O. Wilson said socialism was a perfect political system. They just had the wrong species. It worked wonderful for um, bees and termites and ants and blind mole rats. It just didn't work that well for people. Now, I have not gone socialist. I still believe that individual freedom is incredibly important. But the virus, you know, beat me down on that point. And this argument also, this this argument written uh, that I just read the whole thing by Williams, also makes a good point. You almost have to get racial and economic equality and then become libertarian. I can no longer pretend that a person of color growing up in a bad neighborhood in Chicago can, through hard work and um, focus and kindness, accomplish exactly what a uh, a person with a strong parental structure and white and male coming from Western Massachusetts can do. And it's very, very easy to talk about, I'm certainly not Trump. I'm certainly not Tucker Carlson. I certainly did not come from incredible wealth. But more important than the wealth is the feeling of safety and the feeling of love from my parents. And I think that giving that feeling of safety to someone growing up in a bad neighborhood is virtually impossible. I don't think that I had a kind of feeling of I can do anything in the world and will still feel safe. 
And I had that because of my mom and dad, but also because uh, I was not going to be beaten by police in Greenfield, Massachusetts. You know, I was not going to be discriminated against in Greenfield, Massachusetts. I wonder if if you need to choose in politics between freedom or kindness. Yeah, as you, as your as your defining force. I don't know how I feel about using force to enforce kindness. Right, force to enforce uh, empathy, but it sure seems like with fewer people fighting for the what I consider to be misuse of the word freedom to not wear masks and not get vaccinated, a lot of people died because of that. Right. Actually died because of that. So some dipshit, which could have been me, very easily, and I want to make this very clear, I could have easily fallen into this. Some dipshit like me announcing that masks were an individual decision and vaccines were an individual decision. By the way, both of those arguments I can make, I believe, very, very well and very compellingly. But if I had done that and someone had listened to me, which of course is the advantage, people don't listen to me, so it's helpful. <laughs> but if I had done that, some people would have died. That's, that's horrible. You know, um, Milov died because of his uh, COVID denial, you know? Yeah, a number of people have. He said... If I get it, I get it. And he got it and he died. He set his own rules, lived the life the way he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. But no, while, while he was dying, who knows how many other people he infected? Or how many people followed Meatloaf into that, that, that decision? Well, followed him into that decision. There's just different levels of morality on this, right? Because there are those people who heard... Meatloaf's arguments went along with them and jeopardized their life. That's one level of the morality. Then there's the other people that those people who followed Meatloaf and were in proximity to them that then caught it and died without making the decision to live their life that way. And that, that makes it really hard for me. So I've also, not really- there's also the level of people who had to care for him or the person who was denied a health health care mm-hmm. because they, they didn't have room. Didn't have room in the hospital, yeah. We're just really, really tied together. And if you had asked me, if you had asked me in uh, February of 2020, if a virus hit the United States, would the United States voluntarily mask up and vaccine up? Uh, I would have said, oh, people do it. Everybody will do it voluntarily. There's no government need. I would have said that. I would have believed it. I would have been wrong. And I believed, and I think I said this probably on this very show, before the vaccine, in uh, 2020 before the vaccine, I believe I said, once the virus comes out, there'll be no... Once the vaccine comes out, yeah. There'll be no deniers. Everybody will get it. I think I said that several times. And I think we need to underline that I was dead wrong. And now there's new information. And we go back to that wonderful sentence, those who are disgusted with me for um, selling out my ideals or questioning them, I would have to say, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? I'm seeing that really clearly now, really clearly. And I see that... um, 
I did not believe this. I did not even believe in 2016. I did not believe that many of Trump's followers were motivated by pure hate and racism. And now I believe that. Hate is such a powerful unifier. When you hate somebody and someone else hates them too, that's a kind of connection. And it's almost a sexual connection because we know that hate is wrong. So when someone justifies your hate and celebrates your hate, it's like the sexiness of doing something wrong and getting away with it. And when you have what you believe that's wrong backed up by someone in authority, it's a very, very powerful drug. And I tried really hard, and you guys heard me trying hard, to love the Trump supporters and cut them slack. And they still, most of them deserve it. But some of them, motherfucker, are actual racists that state it that way. They state that they're racist. It's not like me saying, oh, you used black instead of people of color in a sentence. You're racist. We're not talking about microaggression. We're not talking about any of that shit. We're talking about I belong to the white power movement and I support Trump. Fuck you. I can't defend you any longer. I just can't do it. So yeah, that letter is a really important letter. And I don't know if it brings me to anarchy. Does it bring me to authoritarianism? But it might bring me to good old-fashioned, loving each other democracy. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, I know one thing, and that is, that was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. The thing is, Godot, I don't think that I will take time off from working before I'm too sick to ride my bicycle. You're not too old now, but you're going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I'll work right up until I don't feel well enough to do that. But boy, in my mind, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to ride just to be able to eat a big. We got to. We've got to. We've got to get it into the work. We have to have somebody hire us to ride the bike. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> you know we love you. And uh, Matt Donnelly, you got anybody to thank? Here are the people who support us on Patreon.com/slash/pen. Blue Drinks Films. Brandon Knapp, Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, TheBigScubaPodcast.com, Christine and Bobby Mack, Central Park Owl, Lancey Menchu, Stephen White, Harlan Liam Clark, Zach Wozniak, Michelle Yeiser, Jonathan, Placida Scott, Brogan Hastings, Dante Peace, Damian Martin, Adam Luce Loves Matthew Michael Penn and Reddy, Timo Tehoff, Mark Pickenheim, Miriam Engels, Scott Kelly, Kelly M., Adam Burzens, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Michael Cornwall, Ross Devereaux, Rue Dudley, and Ryan Matthews. Thanks so much. And thank you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.